Well, good morning, and thank you for joining us once again here at STSA Church Online. Well, we are in part two of a four-part series called You Are What You Ask. And what we're talking about in this series, in case you missed last week, is the importance of asking the right questions in order to help us make better decisions. Okay, something everyone wants to do in 2021 is make better decisions, right? Well, the way that we get to better decisions is by learning to ask the right questions. And as we talked about last week, the reason why this is so important and the reason I want everyone to hear this message is because ultimately your decisions are the means by which you influence the outcome of your life. It's the means by which you write the story of your life. So for example, the story of your health is ultimately written by the decisions that you make at the dinner table or maybe after the dinner table or maybe when you walk by the vending machine at work. The outcome of your marriage is written by the decisions that you make when you come home from work, grumpy, frustrated, long day, or when your spouse is in one of those moods, or when the kids are acting up and what you say or don't say. Ultimately, the outcome is written by the decisions that we make. Your career, your career, the ultimate outcome of your career is gonna be determined by the decisions you make to work hard or not work hard, to be focused or to be distracted, to watch another YouTube video or to close the browser and say enough is enough. Ultimately, when all is said and done, our life is simply the sum total of the decisions that we made. And as we talked about last week, it's not just our lives, right? Like if it was just our lives, it'd be one thing. But let's be honest, our lives will impact other people around us. Just the same way that you can look at other people's lives and the decisions that other people made, maybe your parents, maybe a sibling, maybe a spouse, other people's decisions influence the outcome of our lives. And we talked about last week how there's no such thing as a private decision because every private decision has public implications. So when it comes to your decisions, okay, you never know, you never know what or who hangs in the balance of the decisions that you're making today. So for those reasons, it's worth it for us. It's worth it to pause. It's worth it before we go into something full steam that we pause and we ask ourselves the right questions. Because as we talked about last week, good questions lead to better decisions and better decisions lead to fewer regrets. Good questions lead to better decisions and better decisions lead to fewer reg regrets. Now the key in this statement here is good questions. Okay, we all ask ourselves questions before we make a decision, but sometimes it's the wrong question. We ask ourselves things like, will this be fun? Will this make me happy? Will I get in trouble for this? Will anyone find out about this? Will this make me rich? We already have a natural framework of questions that we ask, but all I'm saying is learn to ask the right questions, the one that will get you to better decisions. And that's the goal of this series. Okay, the goal is that each week, we talk about a different question that you can add to your decision-making framework that they could hopefully, these four questions can become ingrained inside you that before you make a decision, especially a big one, that you pause and you go through this framework and you ask yourself these questions and ultimately it will lead us to better decisions which will lead to fewer regrets. Last week we talked about the first question and the first one was called the integrity question and it was this, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? Okay, and this one you have to ask twice. Okay, am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself really? So not just why am I doing this, but why am I doing this really? Or why did I refuse to do this really? Or why did I say this really? Or why didn't I go to this really? Or why couldn't I call really? Last week, I challenged you to do something, okay, which flies in the face of culture today. I challenged you to tell the truth to yourself to be honest with yourself, even when it makes you feel bad about yourself. And like I said, that is the opposite of the world today, because today we will go to great lengths to avoid feeling bad about ourselves, even if it means lying to ourselves. And I'm challenging you to be better. There's too much at risk. Too many people are depending on you to make good decisions. So I'm challenging you to be honest with yourself. Because like we talked about last week, until I am honest with myself, I cannot make the best decisions for myself. Because if you give me bad data, okay, if you give me lies, 
then I will make poor choices based on those. So that was last week's question. Am I being honest with myself? Am I being honest with myself? Really? Today, question number two is the legacy question. And that's this. Is what story do I want to tell? What story do I want to tell? You may not have realized this, but ultimately the decisions that we make today will be nothing more than a story that we tell at some point down the road. The decisions that we made in 2020 or 2019 or 2018 or 2017 today are just simply a story that we tell. Oh, remember when this or how we did this or how we didn't this. It's simply a story that we tell. And the question is, what story do you want to tell about today? What story down the road do you want someone else to tell when it comes to talking about today? You know, I see this with my children. My children recently discovered the joy of asking my parents about what I was like as a kid. Okay. And this is like their favorite thing to do, especially what they really like is the stories of me misbehaving, which were maybe just one or two, very few and far between. Obviously I'm a priest. So they love to hear this and tell us what he did here and tell us what he did here. And how did he do this? And they love those stories. And I think my parents really enjoy talking up those stories too. Okay. They love asking questions about me and my childhood. And what you realize, okay, as you see that is that yesterday's decision is simply today's story, okay? Or we can say that today's decision will be nothing more than a story tomorrow. And as I look back on my story, okay, if I'm honest, I'll be honest, there are many parts of the story that I am proud to share, that I am actually excited and I can't wait to tell my kids certain parts of the story. I loved, I'm proud of the way, okay, like I love to tell the story about how me and their mother met, okay, and the things that we did and didn't do when we were dating. I love to tell the story about how we approached priesthood when it was, when it was given to us and, and we were called to this, okay? And the way we, I love to tell that part of the story. But if I'm honest, okay, it's not just me, right? If I'm honest, there's some parts of the story that I wish I could erase. There's some parts of the story that I really hope they don't ask about. There's some parts of the story that when they come up in conversation, I try to go 1.5 speed or, or 1.75 speed and hope we just fast forward through it and they didn't notice anything. And the question I have for you is how about you? Do you like the story that you're writing? Did you even realize that you're writing a story that one day you will tell and that one day will be part of, of who you are? Well, the good news is if you aren't happy with your story, it's never too late because the story isn't done yet. Okay. It's a work in progress and we can still add to it regardless of what in the past for you. Maybe your story, for example, goes something like this. Maybe part of your story is I went out with that guy or I went out with that girl. And you know what? After two dates, I realized they were no good for me. I realized they were bringing me down spiritually. I realized this was not a relationship that I wanted. But I didn't want to be the only single girl. I didn't want to be the only single anymore. So you know what? I just, I kept hoping and I kept justifying. And you know what? I did things I never thought I'd do, but I just didn't want to lose the relationship. I didn't want to lose him. I didn't want to lose her. I didn't want to, again, be the only guy who doesn't have a girlfriend, the only girl without a boyfriend. And now, two years later, here we are. And now you have to decide, do you want this story to keep going? Or do you want to end the chapter? And you're thinking to yourself, I got two years worth invested in this story. And do I want to add another chapter, okay, of keep on hoping, Keep on making excuses. Keep on wishing that things will change. Or am I ready to close this chapter and start a new one? Maybe your story is a work story. And maybe it's about how you cut corners. And maybe there was a certain time where you know what? That no one was looking and you thought you could sneak by this and you cut some corners. And you bent some rules. Then all of a sudden you got caught. And then all of a sudden you were forced to quit. Or you were fired I should say. Okay. And it's a, it's a story that will be part of your story forever, unfortunately. Or maybe your story goes something like this, that you were out one night with the friends having fun. And all of a sudden people started drinking and you said to yourself, no, 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 I'm good. No, thank you. But they said, no, one more. And they said, no, nah, come on. And there was some peer pressure and you tried to say no, but all of a sudden, you know what? You only live once, right? When in Rome. 
And then you did something regrettable. You did something that you wish you could undo. You made a decision you wish you could unmake. And now, that's part of your story. It's not going anywhere. It's there. And there's nothing you can do about it at this point. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. Solomon says this. He says, dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment. Love the vivid language in the Bible. Dead flies putrefy the perfumer's ointment and cause it to give off a foul odor. So does a little folly to one respected for wisdom and honor. He's saying when you have some perfume, the perfumer's oil, it smells beautiful, but a little dead fly ruins the whole thing in the same way that a little folly, a little bad decision, okay, a, a, a little time of what was I thinking can ruin a reputation of wisdom and honor. Said another way, I think what Solomon is saying is this, is that every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. Every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. And that's why we must learn to pause and ask ourselves the right questions. Because every, every decision becomes a permanent part of our story. And your story could have been different. Okay, If you were one of those stories that I just said a minute ago, your story could have been different. Your story didn't need to be how you wasted two years in this bad relationship. Your story could have been how you listened to wise counsel, how you listened to your mom, your dad, your priest, your friends, and you pulled the plug on this thing and you moved on. And it was painful at the time, but because of that, you are where you are today. And you were able to meet Mr. Right or Miss Right because you had gotten out of that toxic relationship. That could have been your story. Your story at work. Okay, when it came to that bad decision where you cut that corner, your story could have been that someone came to you and approached you with this and you said no. And your boss wasn't happy that you said no and he wanted you to do this and he ended up firing you, but you lost your job because you stood your ground. And that's a story that you can tell proudly as opposed to one where you left your job because of disgrace. Or let's say I said the other story about being out with your friends. Your story could have been that your friends did this and you said no and you walked away and you went home and they ended up in a bad situation. And every day you thank God that you walked away and that you said no. Those are stories that you would be proud to tell your kids, proud to tell your grandkids, proud for people to say, hey, grandma, hey, grandpa, tell me that story again. Tell me again how you did this. Tell me again why you walked away from this. That's the goal. That's the goal is to realize that every day we're writing a story and we don't realize who or what our stories will impact. And my goal, and your goal, I hope too, is to write a story that you're proud to tell, or at least one that you're not embarrassed to tell, or one that you don't cringe whenever it comes up. Because one day, every decision, which seems like just a decision today, every decision becomes a permanent part of your story. So if you're single, every decision that you make will become part of the story you tell when you meet your future Ms. Wright or, Ms. or Mr. Wright. Every decision you make today is a story that you're going to tell to them. If you're engaged, every decision that you make today during this period is a story you're going to tell to your kids. Or at least I hope it's a story that you're going to tell to your kids. I hope it's a story you're going to be proud to tell your kids. If you're in a position of leadership, the decisions that you make today, ultimately, you're going to stand in front of those who look up to you or those who look to you for guidance. And you're going to tell that story or maybe told about you I want to challenge you to think beyond today and think towards tomorrow. Think beyond the immediate and think towards the ultimate. Think beyond what do I want to do and think towards what story do I want to tell. Now, <clears throat> we're going to see an example from the scriptures, one of my favorite characters. And this truly is a character, okay, who lived a hard, hard, hard life and had many excuses, many excuses to make wrong decisions. But you'll see as we read his story that he always looked towards the future. And he always asked himself this question. He may not have said it this way, but he always thought to himself, what story do I want to tell? And because he did that, he's one of the true heroes of scripture. And that is none other than Joseph, Joseph of the Old Testament. Now, a lot of us know the story of Joseph. Okay, so I'm going to go through it pretty quickly right here. But just as a, as a recap, Joseph was the 11th of 12 brothers. Okay, so he was number 11. So he had 10 older brothers. And of the 12, Joseph was the favorite of his father. Okay, he was the spoiled little brat. And his older brothers knew it 
and they didn't like it. And it was just a matter of time before they did made a decision that would impact both themselves and their dad and their brother forevermore. And that is one day they're out in the field working. And here comes the younger brother, Joseph. And as he's coming in a distance, they see him coming and anger and jealousy and envy is boiling up inside. And the scripture tells us this in Genesis 37, 20. They say among themselves, come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say some wild beast has devoured him. They say to themselves, come now, let's kill him. And I'm thinking to myself, man, oh man, I thought I had it rough with my older brothers. Like we, my goodness. Okay. Like how do things go from like zero to a hundred overnight right here? And his brothers say, we can't take this kid anymore. And they made a decision that they're going to kill him. Now, as he comes and he approaches the oldest of them, who's Reuben steps in and says, you know what? Maybe killing him is a bit extreme. Okay. Let's tone it down a notch. Verse 21. But Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. So Reuben, okay, voice of reason, sort of, okay. I mean, it's all relative. Okay. Reuben says, let's not kill him. Let's just throw him in a well. Okay. As if. Okay, like, let's be nice to the guy. Let's just throw him in a well. So I don't know which is worse, okay, for Joseph to be stuck in a well or to be killed. Either way, okay, Joseph has it rough here. But Reuben says, let's just throw him in a well. And the reason why is because Reuben actually had planned throw him in the well. And then when they all leave, he was going to rescue him. So Reuben was kind of the voice of reason. And what you're going to see as this story goes on is that there's always a Reuben, okay? I'm just pausing the story right here and I'll continue in a second. But I want to make this note, is that anytime a decision is to be made, and anytime you made a poor decision, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, there's always a Reuben in the story. There's always a Reuben in the story. It may not be the loudest voice, but God always sends a Reuben. And sometimes the Reuben is a text message. Sometimes the Reuben is a phone call. Sometimes the Reuben is, is a doorbell ringing. There's always a Reuben where God is sending a way out. And that's what happened right here. These brothers are about to make a bad decision. Reuben comes in, but unfortunately, things go south. They agree to throw him in the well, okay? And they throw him in there. And then apparently, Reuben steps away. And while Reuben is away, the other brothers see a caravan of slave traders who are going to Egypt. So what they think to themselves is, why would we just leave him there for dead? Why not make a buck? So what they do is they sell him off as a slave, okay? And they make a deal with the slave traders, okay? And the, basically the way it works is we sell him to you at wholesale, and then you could go to Egypt and sell him at retail for a higher price. So they make this decision, off goes Joseph, they got some money in their pocket, they came up with a lie to tell their dad about how some wild beast ate him, and boom, they're thinking to themselves, we're so smart. We're so smart. And I'm sure they are laughing and joking and thinking to themselves, we got rid of our brother and we made enough money to buy lunch on the way home. Like we're the smartest people on the planet. Win, win, win. But you know what they're not thinking at this moment in time? They're not thinking, what story do I want to tell? They're not thinking to themselves, do I want this ugly episode? Envy, jealousy, hatred, anger. Do I want this as part of my permanent story? Like if you could have told them, if you could tell them, okay, think to when you guys are old, okay, and you got families and you got grandkids and whatnot. Is this a story that you're going to want to tell? I remember when I was back in my 20s, I had this annoying little brother, annoying little brother. And we annoyed, he annoyed us so much that, <laughs> you know, what we did, we threw him in a well. And then after we threw him in a well, we sold him as a slave into Egypt. And we lied to our dad and we lied to our mom and we caused them both to basically go into depression for the rest of their lives. Our family life was never the same. We spent the rest of our life lying and covering it up. And anytime someone said the name Joseph, we cringed and we were in fear of that we would be found out. And on top of that, it's not just a story that I'm telling you and that everyone here knows, but it's a story that's going to be written in the Holy Bible that will be read by billions of people on the face of this earth. You think they were thinking about their story at that time? 
You think maybe if they did pause to ask what story do I want to tell? You think maybe things would be different? Who knows? Back to Joseph. They sell him as a slave. He ends up in Egypt. He ends up purchased by a rich man named Potiphar. Potiphar turns him into a slave. And now all of a sudden, Joseph, who had done nothing wrong, done nothing wrong, is now in a pagan country, living with a pagan master, and he's his slave. And let me ask you a question. If that's you, you did nothing wrong. Your brothers, their jealousy, their anger, here you are. You're a slave. What would you do? What would be your mindset? Would you be eager to wake up and go to work every morning? Or would you, like every other slave, think to yourself, I got a raw deal. I don't deserve to be here. This is the worst. And grow bitter and resentful. Think about it also from the perspective of Joseph. Joseph was not a hardworking guy growing up. Joseph was the spoiled kid. Joseph never did manual labor. You know why? Because Joseph had slaves to do that. Well, now all of a sudden, Joseph is the slave. And he has every right to be bitter. He has every right to be angry. He has every right to do the bare minimum as a slave because he's a slave. Slaves don't look to work hard. Slaves look to escape. But that's not Joseph. Joseph thought to himself, story. And Joseph poured himself into the work. He became the best of all the slaves. And he became the most faithful servant of all that made Potiphar, his master, take notice. Genesis 39, verse 6. Thus he, Potiphar, left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he did not know what he had except for the bread which he ate. Now all of a sudden, Joseph starts writing his story. And the story goes, kidnapped. The story goes, thrown in a well, sold as a slave, shipped off to Egypt. Was a victim, but never acted as a victim. Worked hard, trusted God, knew he had a plan, did my part and trusted God to do his. And that, I'm telling you, that's a great introduction to a story. That's a story that any parent would be proud to tell their kids or their grandkids. That's a story that Joseph, to this point, says, you know what? I got a good story and I'm proud to tell. Story now intersects with someone else's story. Okay, I told you right there that Potiphar, his master, took notice of Joseph. Well, apparently Potiphar's wife took notice of him as well. Verse 7. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast longing eyes on Joseph and she said, lie with me. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Joseph is now 19, 20 years old, something like that. Joseph has been in this foreign land. Okay, he hadn't seen his family in forever. He has no hope of ever seeing them again. No hope of getting married. No hope of a normal life. He's just a slave. And he has no hope that anything will ever change. Now, all of a sudden, his boss's wife comes and tries to seduce him and says, lie with me. And realize also, Joseph is not in a position where he can say no, even if he wanted to. He's a slave. Slaves can't say no to the boss's wife. Okay, doing so would be a death sentence. So here comes Joseph, 19 years old, forsaken, okay, or, or, for, or abandoned, okay, by his brothers, never going to see his dad again, even thinks to himself, like, even God hasn't helped me right here. He has every excuse, every reason to say, sure, to commit sin with her. He has every excuse to do that, but he doesn't. Why? Because again, he thinks story. And Joseph, I don't know this for sure, but I'm telling you, I think if you go inside Joseph's head, he thought to himself, either way, I could die right here. <clears throat> Which would I rather? To tell the story, I stood my ground. I did what was right. I held on to my morals. And then I got killed because of that. Or tell the story that, you know what? I was afraid. So I, 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 I betrayed my master. I broke God's rules because I was afraid. I didn't want to be punished or I didn't want to be alone or I didn't want, which story would you rather tell? Joseph made his decision, verse eight. But he refused. He refused his Potiphar's wife's advances and said to his master's wife, look, my master does not know what is with me in the house and he has committed all that he has to my hand. There's no one greater in this house than I, nor has he kept back anything from me, but you, you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? I love what Joseph says. Joseph's saying basically, look here, lady, 
I don't know you, I don't know the other slaves, but how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Like I'm special. Like I'm child of most high. Like I, I'm God has a special plan for me. Like he gave me visions and dreams. I know God has a plan for me. So you know what? You may not have a problem putting adultery in your story. <laughs> I ain't putting that in mine. You know what my story is going to say? My story is going to say trusted in God most high. My story is going to say stood for his moral. My story is going to be self-control. And you kind of telling you you're kind of married. So you, I'm advising you not to add that to your story, but that's between you and him. I will not add betrayal and adultery to my story. Verse 10. So it was, as she spoke to Joseph, day by day, wasn't just one time, day by day, that he did not heed her to lie with her or to be with her. Joseph says, no. Next chapter, written, stood strong, boom. Joseph is writing a great story. All's well that ends well, right? No. Potiphar's wife gets angry, okay, because she's been embarrassed by the slave who is rejecting me. She gets embarrassed, she gets angry, and then she gets even. She accuses Joseph of trying to rape her, and she tells Potiphar, her husband, about this. So, of course, Potiphar is left with no choice. Potiphar throws him in the dungeon for the crime he's committed. Now, just as a side note, if Potiphar really believed that this slave tried to seduce his wife okay, and tried to, 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 to rape his wife, he wouldn't have thrown him in the prison. He'd have, he'd have killed him on the spot. He's just a slave. But the fact that he doesn't means that he probably doesn't believe his wife. But you know the saying, happy wife, happy life, okay? He got, got, so he was in a tough place. Didn't believe her, but you know, he's got to take some action. So he throws him in the prison. Now for the second time, the second time in this brief story, in Joseph's short life, the second time he's thrown into some kind of dungeon, Okay, first time was a well, now is a prison. He's thrown in some kind of dungeon for having committed no crime. Done nothing wrong, twice ended up in a prison. And then we read this verse. Okay, this is a strange verse that we're going to read right, right now. And it comes when, like I said, when Joseph is in prison, and it seems out of place. It's verse 21. While Joseph was in prison, it says, The Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy. And the reason why I pause there is I think to myself, wait a minute. If the Lord was with Joseph, then he wouldn't be in prison. He'd be at home with mom and dad. He'd, the, the brothers might be in prison or Potiphar's wife might be in prison. But Joseph, if the Lord was with him, why didn't the Lord protect him? Why didn't the Lord reward him? What's the answer to that question? The answer is easy. Because the story's not over. It's not the end of the book. Yeah, I, I get it. If you get to the end of the book and you see that, that, that God was unjust or God was unfair, yeah, I get it. But you're still in the middle of the story. Like, you can't watch a movie and, and you know, halfway through the movie, you're like, you know, this doesn't make any sense. No, just wait to the end of the movie. Get to the end of the book. Joseph is still in the middle of his story. And maybe you are too. Maybe that's why God hasn't. Maybe you're looking for a resolution in chapter three of a 10 chapter book. And I'm telling you, yes, there will be a resolution. Yes, there will be justice. Yes, God is more than fair. God provides, God rewards. Yes. But wait till the end of the book. And the key between now and then is making the right decisions between now and the end. Is continuing to write good chapter after good chapter that you're proud to tell. And then you'll get to the end. And then you'll see. It goes on, verse 22. Speaking about this time when he was in prison, the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever they did, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because again, the Lord was with him. Whatever he did, the Lord made it prosper. So here comes Joseph in prison. Okay, first thrown into a well for committing no crime, sold as a slave, now thrown in prison for, for doing nothing wrong. And he keeps on writing the story. And the story is model prisoner. Number one prisoner, which I know sounds like a weird thing to write in a story and be proud of, but in the circumstances, it is a good thing to write. Number one prisoner. The warden trusted him with everything. He was a model prisoner. And at that time, Joseph writing that chapter, that chapter lasted eight long years. He didn't just do it for one day or two days or three days, but he continued to write the story for eight 
long years and realize as he's writing this story, he's thinking to himself, this is a story. This is a great story, but I don't know if anyone's ever going to hear it. I don't know if I'm going to live to tell it, but he still continued to make the right decision. He certainly couldn't have anticipated that you and I in the year 2021 would be talking about his story. But that's kind of the point of everything that we're talking about is you never know what hangs in the balance. You never know who hangs in the balance. You never know who is going to read your story or hear your story or see your story. He had no clue, but here we are today talking about it. Keep going in the story. While he's in prison, he meets two other prisoners. One, both of whom used to work for Pharaoh. One was his cupbearer, okay? And one was his baker. So while he's in there, each of the cup baker, the cup bearer and the baker each has a dream. And they come to Joseph and Joseph helps them to interpret their dreams because they're troubled. And Joseph says, what's wrong? And they say, I have had this dream. He says, tell me, I'll see if I can help you. The cup bearer goes first. And Joseph hears his dream and he says, good news. The dream for you is from God. And it means that in three days, you're going to be restored to your position. You're going to be freed from prison. You're going to be back to serving Pharaoh and in, in, in your position in the palace. And of course, the cupbearer rejoices and says, this is great news. And then before I get to the next, okay, what the baker, the baker's dream, okay, there's a verse here that isn't really part of our story, but I just, I want to show this because it's one of my favorite verses because it shows that Joseph, who seems like a superhuman being, just making good decision after good decision, I'm going to show you his human side. And that Joseph was no different than me and you. After he tells the cupbearer, you're going to be restored. You're going to be back in Pharaoh's court pretty soon. Look what he tells him. Genesis 40, 14. He says to him, remember me. Remember me when it is well with you. And please show kindness to me. Make mention of me to Pharaoh and get me out of this house. Why I like that verse is I want to show you that Joseph, that being being, making good decisions, being wise, being a faithful steward isn't easy. It's not that it's just some people have and some people don't. Joseph was human like us. And Joseph said, I hate it in here. I want to get out of here. And if I could push a button to get me out of here, I would. But I trust you, God. And if you keep me in here, I'll still make good decisions. I'll still write a good story, a story that's worth telling. But make no mistake, Joseph wanted to get out of there just like any person. That was the cupbearer. The baker hears this, this interpretation that Joseph gives to the cupbearer. So the baker comes and says, okay, well, I got a dream too. And then all of a sudden, Joseph tells him that his dream actually means the exact opposite. That in three days, he's actually going to be killed and executed. To which, of course, the baker's thinking, man, I should have gone first. Okay, <laughs> Wish I would have told him my dream first. That one worked out much better. But anyway, didn't change things. Three days later, just as jo Joseph had predicted, both things happened. The cupbearer, is restored to his position, and the baker gets executed. Let's stick with the cupbearer. Cupbearer leaves, goes back to Pharaoh, and now he's Pharaoh's like, think of it like a butler, okay? Like he's in his ear. He's like his private assistant. And Joseph, I'm sure, when the cupbearer left, started thinking to himself, time to pack the bags. Thank you, God. You have delivered your servant. You heard my prayer, you saw my righteousness, and here you are. And he started to pack his bags because it's just a matter of time, right? Like I told the guy his dream, it turned out to be true. It's just a matter of time before he comes knocking and saying, oh yeah, remember my boy Joseph? Bring him out of there too. But that's not how it happens. Verse 23. Yet the chief butler did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Oh, the chief butler the guy forgot about Joseph and didn't mention him. And again, a good story, a story that's worth writing isn't easy. It takes grit. It isn't easy to make the right decision. It isn't easy to have self-control. It isn't easy to resist lust. Like sometimes we give ourselves a pass and we say, it was just so hard. Well, this was hard too. This was hard too. And Joseph wanted to get out, but he continued to make the right decisions. And if you want a story that's worth writing, you have to have the discipline and the courage and the toughness to make the right decision even when it's not easy. Story goes on. Now all of a sudden, okay, couple, uh, maybe a year, a couple years go by. Now Pharaoh has a dream. And Pharaoh has this weird dream and he can't interpret it. And he's thinking to himself, I need someone. Then all of a sudden, they think the cupbearer remembers, oh yeah, there was this guy who helped me interpret a dream and it was Joseph. 
They called Joseph to come up to interpret the dream. And, fo- and Joseph basically tells Pharaoh, I got good news and I got bad news. The good news is the first, he had two dreams. The first dream, okay, or yeah, the good news is that for the next seven years, you're going to have a boom in the economy. You're going to have a bumper crop and things are going to be great. And there's going to be so much land is going to be very fertile and bear so much harvest. Seven years. Then the bad news is the next seven years, you're going to have a famine and everything is going to be scarce. So basically what he's telling him is it's going to be like the dot-com boom. Okay. Like around the 90, 1999, like, like in the late nineties, it's going to be the dot-com boom. But then all of a sudden after that, it's going to be followed by the great depression. And he tells him, it's going to be okay, you're going to survive, but you got to make sure that you use the period of the boom in order to save for the period of the famine. And he comes and he tells him basically, like, this is what you got to do. Pharaoh sees the wisdom right here and says, the spirit of God is upon this young man. So he says, Joseph, you're number two in my regime right now. And he promotes him from prisoner to his, basically like his assistant to basically the prime minister of Egypt and all of Egypt is under his control. And he tells them during the first seven years, we're going to save, we're going to save a little bit every time get from every harvest. So that way, when the seven years passes and it's a famine, they have enough food and eventually they become the distributor for food and grain throughout the entire region because the whole area is famine. But Egypt was the only one that took precautions and it was all under Joseph's control. Now, again, I want to pause the story right here. How did Joseph become the prime minister of Egypt, the most powerful country at the time? How did Joseph, who was a slave, who was a prisoner, who was a Hebrew, become the prime minister of the most powerful nation on the planet? Well, easy. You know how? Because of his story. Because all Pharaoh had to do was read his story. His story spoke for itself. Every single person who would read Joseph's story, the, 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 the Potiphar, okay, uh, the, the warden, okay, any one of the prisoners, the cupbearer, the, uh, anyone who saw Joseph or dealt with him says, yeah, this is a guy that you want. His story speaks for itself. In other words, Joseph didn't have anything to hide. When Joseph presented his story to Pharaoh, there was nothing that he had to fast forward. There's nothing that he had to cover up or hoping he doesn't ask about. And I'm telling you, that's what I want for you. I want you and me to have a story that we are proud to tell, that we never feel ashamed when that piece comes up or guilt or regret. And let me tell you something else. Let me put this in slightly different terms, okay, terms that make sense to me and hopefully makes a little sense to you. Let me tell you something that I know to be true about you, something I know to be true about you. And that is this, when it comes to your story, You want to be the hero of your story. You want to be the hero of your story. And I want you to be the hero of your story. No one loves a good action movie more than me. And I always want to picture myself in my own story, my own action movie as the hero. I don't want to be the villain. And I certainly don't want to be bystander number three or whatever it may be. I picture myself as the hero. The hero in every action movie doesn't have anything to hide. Doesn't have anything to hide. He lives his life out there and he's proud of the way he acts, especially when it's needed most. Compare Joseph in this story to his brothers. Compare Joseph, hero versus villain. Hero, nothing to hide, nothing to be ashamed of, nothing to fast forward versus brothers. If I'm them, I'm thinking to myself, uh, I hope no one finds out about this. Hope no one hears. The brothers spent the rest of their lives not living as heroes, but as liars. They were liars for the rest of their life. Why? Because of the decision that they made. And I'm telling you, I know you, you want to be a hero and I want you to be a hero, but you got to start making decisions like a hero. Would a hero send that email? Would a hero say what you just said? Would a hero go where you just went? Would a hero continue in this behavior? Would a hero apologize for this or not apologize? Like, come on, how would a hero respond to this trial? How would a hero respond when this difficult situation comes? Like, come on, you want to be the hero? Well, start making decisions like a hero. Because God designed you to be a hero. And God gave you all the tools necessary to be a hero. And God wants your story to be told on the mountaintops and say, this is my beloved son or my beloved daughter in whom I am well pleased. And I am proud to share the story to the ends of the earth. But we got to do our part. We got to start making decisions. We got to start asking the right questions and making decisions and stop making excuses as to why we didn't. 
back to the story. <clears throat> we'll fast forward to the end right here. Basically, Joseph now prime minister controlling all the grain. All the peoples of the world are coming saying, we need food. We need help. Lo and behold, one day, his brothers, okay, probably, this is probably 25 years later, his brothers come. And they say, we need grain. And Joseph happens to be there the day that they're coming asking for grain. They don't recognize him, but he certainly recognizes them. From their perspective, Joseph is dead. Joseph has been dead for 25 years. They don't know anything about him. All of a sudden, they have no clue, but they're in front of Joseph. Now, all of a sudden, the roles have reversed. Okay, Joseph is the powerful. They are the weak. Joseph is the one in the position of authority. And they're the ones who are begging and pleading on their hands and knees for him to help them to save their lives. And just again, think of the role reverser. Earlier, he was a young boy. They were grown men. He was in the well and they were up above and he was screaming, please save me, please save me. And they were laughing, ha, 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 from above. Well, now the tables have turned. And now here's Joseph. What does Joseph do? What would you do? Joseph had every right, every right to torture them. He had every right to kill them. He had every right to get even with them. And you and I would not discuss it or not argue with it for one second. We'd not blame him for one second if he got revenge on them. But you know what else we wouldn't do if he did that? We wouldn't be talking about his story today. Because that's an easy story. Revenge, that's easy. Got even, that's an easy story. That's a common story. Do you want a story that's worth telling? A story that's worth writing down in the scriptures? A story that's worth generation after generation after generation hearing and looking up to this story? Do you see what Joseph did? Joseph basically went easy on them. Genesis 45, verse 4 through 8. Joseph said to his brothers, please come near to me. So they came near. Then he said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. But now... Do not therefore be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. Watch what he says. For God sent me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. God sent me before you to preserve a posterity for you in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you who sent me here, but God. Boom. That is a story that's worth telling. That's a story that's worth shouting from the mountaintops. That's a story that Joseph is proud to tell and that we love to read. Now, how about you? That's Joseph. We're done, Joseph. His story is over, complete, the end. How about you? You're still in the middle of your story. What story do you want to tell? How you want your story to, to play out over the next few chapters? Realize, whatever you're going through today, will simply be a story at some point down the road. So how do you want your story to go? Maybe, you know, during this time of COVID, you've been struggling financially. Maybe you lost your job or maybe you got reduced hours. You don't know how you're going to make ends meet and you're struggling. Well, what do you want your story to say? Do you want your story to say that, that you, got you went into depression? You want your story to say that you quit? You want your story to say that you started drinking? You want your story to say that you gave up on your faith? Or you want your story to say different? that you pulled it together, that you found a way, that you trusted in God, that you worked your tail off, and that you reached out for help when you needed help. Let's say <clears throat> you're dating someone right now and you don't know if it's Mr. Right or Miss Right, but you sure hope it is, but you don't know. But you know what you do know is that it's the 21st century and Father Anthony is not like the olden days. And back in the olden days, yeah, people were virgins until they were married, but that's not the way it is today. So you know what? When in Rome, and you decide, you know what, relax the morals a little bit and do as everyone else is doing. Well, let me tell you something. Is that one day that's a story that you're going to tell? And is that a story you're proud to tell? Is that a story you're proud to tell your kids when they start dating? And can you say, I want you to do as I did? Or it's just, don't you dare do as I did? Is that a story that you're proud to tell when you do meet the right Mr. Right or the do Miss Right? Because you realize that is a story that you're going to tell them one day. Is that a story that you're proud to share? Or let's say you're married. You're going through a tough time. Man, I don't know a marriage that didn't go through a tough time during these days of COVID. Let's say you're going through a tough time and all of a sudden you found someone else who started to give you some extra attention. Someone from the office, someone in the neighborhood, someone that you kept up with online and gave you a little bit of extra attention. And all of a sudden, you know what? Started to feel good. 
start to feel good about yourself, but you got to realize that today's decision is simply tomorrow's story and they're married and you're married. And is that a story you want to tell? Is that a story you're going to be proud to tell the kids and the grandkids when they come sit around on Christmas and come listen to a story about how I broke up my family and I broke up someone else's family? Is that a story that you really are eager to share? Come on, you're better than this. You know this. You know this. You're smart enough to realize it. That today's decision, today's decision will soon become tomorrow's story. Today's decision will soon become tomorrow's story. And the decisions that we make today, we have to live in light. We make in light of the story we're going to tell tomorrow because ultimately that's all it's going to be. You know, speaking of marriage, I have a friend um, who I've known for, for several years um, who went through a pretty situation in their marriage several years back. Um, and any person who hears this lady's story, okay, any person who hears this story, even the person, you know, who... Anyone who hears it would say this lady is justified if she wanted to leave her husband. Anyone would say that, okay? Not like the silly stories that we hear today of, you know, sometimes we, we you know, we, we make excuses and we justify. No, this person had legit reasons. It was, it was a bad situation. But God gave this person grace. Tremendous grace that, you know what, had to come from above. And this person fought to keep it together. And at times that meant sacrifice beyond belief. That meant humility, the likes of which no one can imagine. That meant forgiving what was previously thought of as unforgivable. But this person did it. And this person fought to keep their marriage together. And yet their marriage still has some bumps. Okay, it's not perfect. I know that would be like the perfect ending if everything was perfect. No, they still got their bumps and bruises. There's still some scars in that period that will never, ever go away. But you know what this person has? This person has a story. This person has a legacy. This person can go to their grave and any person they meet, and this person does it. This person ministers to other people who are going through struggles in their marriage. And this person can say that you don't quit. And what God has brought together, no man shall separate. And this person can say that with confidence because they live that story. And that's this person's legacy. And what do you think is going to happen when this person's kids, when this person's kids come and say, you know what? I'm struggling in my marriage. He treated me this way or she treated me this way or we can't see eye to eye and I'm thinking of pulling the plug. This person's going to look that person in that child in the eye and say, don't you dare. I showed you with my, and that person probably won't even need to say because they'll see the example in their parent. That marriage is worth fighting for. That family, which I know is something that is devalued in society today, which is the detriment. And this is the reason why a lot of the majority of the problems in the world today are exactly from this, the devaluing of the family, what God has put together. This person can say that family is worth fighting for, that marriage is sacred, and it's worth fighting for, even if it costs you everything. I'm telling you, this friend of mine, the impact that they will leave, the legacy they will leave is way beyond just themselves. That today's decision is tomorrow's story, and this person is a hero of their story for generation after generation after generation to come. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says this, a good man, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. The challenge for us today is to think beyond just the here and now. Think beyond just what what the decision in front of me and think towards the story that we're going to tell one day. And I hope that you, like me, Okay, want to be the hero of your story. You want to write a story that's worth telling, that you're proud of, where you don't have to skip any chapters, where you don't have to fast forward, where you don't have to cringe anytime someone brings it up. And the way we're going to get there is by today and every day, pausing before we make the decision, asking ourselves, what story do I want to tell? Today's decision will become tomorrow's story. Every decision will become a permanent part of my story. And is the decision that I make today part of the story that I want to tell tomorrow? Here's the challenge I want to leave you with this week. The challenge is I will do everything in my power. I will do everything in my power to write a story that I'm proud to tell. Say that with me. Say, I will do everything in my power to write a story that I'm proud to tell. Every decision that we make is part of our permanent story, whether we realize it or not. And before we make the decision, we owe it to ourselves. We owe it to the people whose lives we will impact with our decisions. We owe it to them 
to pause and ask ourselves this question. What story do I want to tell? Because soon the decision will pass. The emotions will subside. All that you'll be left with is the story. And I hope that you make it a good one. Let's bow our heads for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the story that you've given us in Joseph and this example that you've given to us. Lord, we want to write stories that are worth telling, that we're proud of. And we know, Lord, there's parts in our past that, that haven't been there. But I pray that you would help us to have this new mindset and outlook every day going forward that we'd write stories that we're proud to tell and shout from the mountaintop and not embarrassed or want to hide. Give us the courage and the toughness to be able to do that going forward in this new year. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, with the prayers and intercessions of all your saints. Hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us once again. As I did last week, I'm going to leave some questions up here on the screen. And I really, really hope that you get a chance to dig into these questions with whoever it is you're spending the afternoon with. Or maybe you give a friend a call, because that's how we can take this message and hopefully make it something that we apply when we go through these questions together. Okay. Thanks so much, everyone. Have a great week. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for joining us here today. You can find us on any social media platform and feel free to share a message that inspires you with your family and your friends. If there's anything we can do for you, please visit our website and let us know how we can help or even how can we pray for you. If you aren't receiving our weekly email, please click the Stay Connected button on our website. Thank you again, and please have a great day.